Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Leading Women in Tech again, and I'm your host, Tony Collis. I'm delighted to have you back for another week of the podcast. And it's another week of a very special three-week series. So we're on week two now of Being the Only Woman in the Room special series with my dear friend and fellow coach, Mika Gobig. Last week, Mika and I discussed the problem with being the only woman in the room. We discussed things from the importance of being recognized and making space for yourself, the lack of role models, having to do more work than your peers, that unfair playing field that we're all on, daily sexism, microaggressions, and also not feeling seen or heard. There are definite downsides to being the only woman in the room. Well, today, Mika and I are continuing this special three-part series, but this is, again, a recording of a LinkedIn Live we did earlier in the year, and we were honoured to be joined in a discussion on this topic by four amazing, extraordinary women in tech. Trish Dan Kroger, a dear friend and previous mentor of mine, she's an executive at HPE. Um, Alex Han from Google, again, an extraordinary woman who has been an executive and has decided to go more into IC work again. Margaret Dawson, who has worked with so many women over the years, has been passionate about helping women in their careers. And Richard Bansal, who is the CEO of Pink Careers, similarly oriented the same way as Michia and I are towards changing the landscape of the world. So without further ado, I want to get this panel on for you, onto the show. It's got some amazing insights. And I'm hoping, if nothing else, you're hearing from these women that if even if you're in a tough place, things can get better. So here we go. You're listening to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. go. Hello. Welcome to part two of Being the Only Woman in the Room. We're delighted that you're here, whether you're watching live or on the replay. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am Tony Collis, Executive Coach for Women in Tech. Uh, my personal mission in life is to get more women into tech leadership, not just because I believe that more women should love their jobs, which of course they should, but because I believe the tech industry desperately needs more women leading the world of tech, both as people leaders, executive leaders, and thought leaders, individual contributor leaders. We just need more women and more of their ideas having visibility. And that is partly why we are here today, because we know that one of the challenges for women in tech is being the only woman in the room. And that's why we brought, Mika and I have brought together this extraordinary group of women to talk through this very subject with you. So next I'm gonna hand over to Mika to introduce herself and take the reins for the next couple of minutes. Hello, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Uh, I'm Mika Gobik. I help women in tech and other male-dominated industries lead with confidence. That is my mission. Of course, Tony and I share a mission. I just absolutely want to see 
51% of power positions in the hand of women during my lifetime and or preferably while I'm still lucid. So let's say that that'll have to happen between the next 30, 20 to 30 years. And uh, yeah, I am very, very happy to, to be here today and have extraordinary women on this panel. And we know that we have extraordinary women in our audience too, but we also welcome guys, right? So now, I would love for our panelists to tell us a little more about themselves. Richa, would you go first, please? Hi, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Similar to Mika and Tony, I think my mission is very similar. And that's why I'm excited to be on the panel here. I'm a, I'm a senior program manager at Amazon, where I lead large-scale recruiting programs to make hiring more efficient at Amazon so that we can hire the best talent for the company. Um, I come from a long background in the oil and gas industry. I spent 10 years in the oil and gas industry being the only woman in the room. And so I also run a social enterprise called Think Careers. I'm the founder and CEO of Think Careers, where uh, my personal mission is to close the gender gap in the C-suite by bringing leadership development and coaching to emerging women talent. So very, very excited here to talk today about my journey and some of the things that have worked for me as I was the only woman in the room and also learn from the wonderful other ladies that we have on the panel here. Thank you, Richa. Alex, would you go next? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing today and what your experience is with being the only woman in the room. Um, I, uh, my name's Alex and I've been in the tech industry for 20 plus years. Currently, I am at Google, working at Google Cloud on Kubernetes, like really nerdy stuff. <laughs> I'm a user experience design lead. But previously, I've been in a lot of other companies from startup to uh, corporations like Zillow, AWS Marketplace. I actually launched those. And I, I also have six patents. I have always been a woman, usually the only person in the room. I used to tweet uh, how many men and how many women are in the room. Usually it's just one woman. Uh, and so I, I, I'm, I'm really well averse in, in being the only woman in the room, and I and I see a lot of women also struggling in mm -hmm. that uh, in that arena. And I'm passionate also about helping women, and I offer free mentoring for women uh, in tech. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Next is Trish. So, what's uh, what's your background and what's your experience with being the only woman in the room? Thank you. So welcome. Hello. I am Trish Damkroger. I am in the a Senior Vice President and Chief Product Officer at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Um, my uh, path has been through big computing. So high performance computing, AI and data solutions is currently my portfolio. And I have been um, in the tech industry for 30 years now and with the double E way back when. And my experience has varied with every role I've had in different groups, mm -hmm. but it seems like the rest of you, I've realized that um, helping women find their voice in male dominated fields mm -hmm. is just a passion of mine along with promoting STEM education. And so I've been a, an executive coach and worked with women in male dominated fields and, um, active in just promoting STEM. And next, uh, last but not least for <laughs> sure is Margaret. You have an amazing breadth of experience. Uh, <laughs> involved being the only woman in the room quite a few times. 
Yeah, in different ways. Um, I love hearing everyone's stories. I actually, I think when you first reached out, I was still at Red Hat and I'd been in the tech industry for over 25 years and just retired. And I put retired in quote, because currently I'm running two businesses. I'm a founder and CEO of a digital marketing agency that is focused on small businesses, specifically women and diversity-led organizations, both nonprofits and small business. And I could talk about that forever because I found that uh, women and diversity-led organizations are often just taken advantage of. And, you know, there's not a plate, there's not a, a way that they get served correctly. And um, we could talk about that and how that, what that means too. But, um, and I'm also general manager of a restaurant that my family just founded. Uh, it's a pizza factory franchise. And this is the first time I have worn grown-up clothes in about a month because I'm usually in a polo shirt with a big pizza factory logo and covered in flour. So thank you for letting me dress up. But um, yeah, I mean, I've been like all of you, the only woman in the meeting room, the only woman on stage. I used to stand on stage and literally look out at, you know, a thousand, 10,000 people and say, are there any women in the audience, you know, let alone um, on the stage? And we've all seen that. The only woman chief of staff, the only woman on the senior leadership team. My last job at Red Hat was chief of staff to the CEO. And then um, I led diversity and inclusion for Red Hat uh, when we were trying to kind of figure that out. And interestingly, even in the restaurant industry, I'm so amazed how many people, when I tell them I'm the owner of the restaurant, they look at me because they go, oh, I thought your husband was the owner. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> you know, even in something so simple as a pizza restaurant, you still don't think a woman can run it, you know? So it's not just about being the only, it's about people not expecting you mm -hmm. to be in that role. And I'll just end with, you all talked about your missions and I love hearing all those that mine has been just helping everyone. It started as women, but I found this is a universal issue of helping people rediscover or discover and shine their true light is how I talk about it because so many women, especially, but like I said, plenty of men as well, start hiding who they really are as they're faced with being the only one or one of a few. And I think a lot of uh, people from marginalized backgrounds feel the same way. And so they start, you know, thinking they need to be in a box. So how do we support people of being authentic and, and truly shining their light? Because that's when I think innovation really happens. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. I think that's an important fact to, to mention here too. This is that being the only woman in the room feeling that, that sense of, I don't really belong. Right. Because that, of course, also uh, is very true for marginalized groups in general. So this is not only uh, a gender issue. This is gen this, this is an underrepresentation issue. Am I am I allowed, Tony? You are the master of the time to just quickly give my life hack for that question we got because I think I'm the only one with a discernible accent that I'm not a na native speaker of English. You know, Alex. Alex was. Alex was not is not American born either. So my life hack actually for that, for the accent thing before I hand it over to Alex is I have kind of my safe word and my safe word is Ariana Huffington. <laughs> That's my safe word. Whenever I get freaked out by having an accent, is that something Ariana Huffington would do? Or of course she's, she has done it usually already. So that's my, she actually runs with it. She has made her accent her trademark. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my safe work when I get into that spiral. 
Hmm. Alex, do you have anything to add for that? Because I think it's an interesting question. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, English is not my first language, and I when I get nervous, my accent comes out. Same thing mm. when I get cool. <laughs> but it comes out really nervous. And so what I do is I now try to practice a lot more beforehand the presentation, making sure I get the words right. Because sometimes I have a hard time saying words like necessary because mm. I'm just nervous, right? And another thing I've been doing now the last two years, which has really helped me, is actually set 10, 15 minutes ahead of time to do some meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, the meditation apps out there that really helps you, like, you know, they'll say before a presentation, before a job interview, try this meditation. And that has really helped me quite a bit. Another thing I do is I practice English, of course, and, you know, and just let the people know, you know, like, hey, you know, it's not my first language and you should be proud of the fact that I speak more than one language, right? So don't, don't, don't worry about it. Just, you know, you know, you're going to get better over time and just focus on that, you know, learn from it. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in a little bit here because English is not my first language either. Right. I came to States, um, 12 years ago and I've lived in France for a little bit, English, uh, us for a bit, Canada for a bit. And I'm from India. So like my accent is all over the place. <laughs> and I only started to realize that, that I have a very, very strong accent when I started doing more work with think careers, doing my own webinars, recording mm -hmm. podcasts, when I would listen back to it. Like, oh my God, some of these words sound really crazy. But then I've come to accept that what I have to say adds value. It doesn't matter what my accent sounds like or what, like, you know, some words come out just different from what's acceptable. But if my message has something of value, it's okay, whatever accent is. So just being comfortable with that, like piggybacking on what Margaret said about being authentic and not worrying about everything else. Has oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to give the opposite. I, I lived in the greater China region for almost a decade. And I had, so it was also an only experience. I was not only oftentimes the only woman, but I was the only non-Chinese or Taiwanese in the room. And, you know, learn Chinese kind of on the street, so to speak, um, which can get you in trouble because it was usually from taxi drivers. But whenever I would go to China or Taiwan or Hong Kong or um, Singapore to speak, I would try to start my first five minutes of the talk in Mandarin and I was terrified. And I was always thinking like, everyone should be forced to do that. Right. And they were so surprised, but I will tell you, if you can do that, you have everyone's attention in the room, you know, and I don't care if it sounded horrible, but it's the fact that if we can try to do that. And so I, I am always amazed at people whose you know, language English is their second or third or fifth or seventh language, right? Because Americans are just so bad at language, you know, that we never give them a break. And I just wish we could force everyone into that other side of being outside and being that only person culturally, you know, or linguistically. I'm going to move on here because this is such a beautiful topic and I think we could talk about it all day. Um, but I do think it actually fits in a little bit with the next one. The next question I want to ask you all because really what all of you are getting at there is sort of be your own person, which is one of the things I see as the answer to the next question, which is what are the opportunities that we see for being the only woman in the room? Because there is a silver lining, I believe. And uh, Mika and I put out a poll actually asking, are there are there good sides to being the only woman in the room? And there was a resounding majority of yes. There were some no's. 
but I think many of us are now starting to see the silver lining. So I would love to know from each of you, and I'm going to go around in the same order. I would love to know, what do you view are the opportunities to be in the only one in the room? So let's start with Richard again. What would you say those are? Yeah. I, so I said, like, I, I spent 10 years in the oil and gas industry where oftentimes I was working offshore on the oil rig, wow. being the only woman in the rig, right? Like, I've been on drill ships where I was the only woman with 120 crew, rest the belts, everybody else, where they do not expect women to be. Mm-hmm. And one, if women are there, they don't expect women to do any of the heavy lifting. They don't expect women to be engineer, engineering savvy, whatever. So I think... The biggest uh, lesson that I learned being the only woman in the room uh, around opportunities is that people underestimate you. And then when people underestimate you, you can really wow their socks off or whatever that phrase is called. But essentially, if you do well, then people will remember you for the rest of their life. So when people underestimate you, you do good. Everybody has to do good to make their place. But when you do good as the only woman in the room, then everybody remembers you. That was my lesson learned, um, and I'm going to pass the baton. Perfect. Thank you. Yes, Alex, you're up next. Yeah. Um, one of the things I celebrate is that women think differently, and we do things differently. And so, you know, it does take courage to speak up in a room of men. And I found that, you know, you know what? If I don't speak, nobody's going to advocate for me. And so I just tend to speak up and I, I'm that weird person asking questions that people haven't thought of. And I, and I really celebrate that because the guys in the room be like, oh yeah, I didn't think of it this way. And I feel like that is a big win for us women. You know, we bring the diversity and we need to celebrate that. So I think for, for me, that's, that's the biggest thing about what I've learned about being the only woman in the room. I think that is particularly beautiful. I'm just going to call that one out before I pass over to Trish in that there is that courage piece that we all need to speak up because you know you're different. You know you're the odd one out. But when you do, something truly magical can happen. So thank you so much for sharing that one, Alex. Trish, over to you. Yeah, I love that too. So I grew up with only brothers and on a street where I was the only girls. I didn't know that was odd or different, you know? So I guess when I joined, um, even in college, being the only usually woman in the classroom or even in the corporation world or corporate world, um, I kind of never knew that I was different. And I think that helped me not really have that um, sense. So I just think, but I do agree with both both of what um, the comments have been said. Because of that, I did have the confidence and I kind of didn't have the fear. And I do think it helped me accelerate because that wasn't expected. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. um, they just thought, wow, who is this person? And I think it it helped them also. I, my very first job, the woman I guess before me, um, like, did a full lawsuit against the corporation, and mm-hmm. so they were very very scared of bringing in another woman and you know what I was going to be. But I was so like oblivious to it all. I think it really helped them move forward and just say, okay, that was just one bad experience versus this is going to be a problem. So. Um, being naive 
really helped me. <laughs> I love that. I can so relate to that. I think a lot of women, especially in tech, were kind of tomboys, as that we were called. I don't know if that's politically correct to say anymore. Probably not. But, you know, like in sports and all that. So you kind of grow up with that that mindset. And so you don't realize it. And just feeding off what you just said, I don't think I really thought about being the only woman until one time I was speaking and I had, I was wearing a skirt and I got off stage and the guy goes, Oh, that was great. That was the best kind of overview of the future of cloud and blah, blah, blah. And it didn't hurt to look at those legs either. And I was kind of like, what, <laughs> you know? And then I was thinking, what does he mean by that? And like, it took me so long to process that, you know, because I wasn't thinking of myself in those terms of physically, you know, being a woman or whatever it was until they said that. And that kind of hit me so strongly. But um, going back to something Alex said, I really do think that women ask questions differently. I think especially as we start to mature and, and take perspective. For me, being a mother, we have five kids. And when I'm in a room of all men, I notice men who are also feeling like they're not being heard. And so, you know, the role I found myself playing, especially as I became an executive was, hey, I'd love to hear from so-and-so and what he has to say, or, you know, let's make sure we've heard all the voices. So I think having that perspective or, or giving a voice to other people that don't normally get a voice and, and it's senior people. I can think when I was chief of staff, there was a very senior person and he called me after one of our, our, senior leadership meetings and said, that was the first time I felt like I belonged. And so I think we forget, you know, we just assume as the only woman that we're the only person feeling that way, but everyone's coming into a room, as you know, with that same imposter syndrome, with the same baggage, you know, they've had their own traumas. And so I think what we can bring is a, um, an empathy and maybe a, a greater, um, ability to to draw people out and to help them feel connected to what's going on because we've experienced that. Maybe we see that more. That's beautiful. I think um, you hit the nail on the head there. I think one of our superpowers when we are the only woman, when we're the only something in the room, whatever that otherness is, is that immediately gives us the opportunity to dial up our empathy in a way that our peers don't recognize. Um, in the same way that I know I have to work incredibly hard as a white woman to be mm -hmm. empathetic to people who've had a less privileged experience than me. Mm -hmm. I think every small piece gives us that a little bit extra to be more empathetic, which is just going to make the world a better place because we all need to work on that. Anyway, Mika, over to you for the next set of questions. Thank you. We are now going into a quick fire round. So uh, quick questions, quick answers. And afterwards, we still have time for a couple of questions, I think. So first one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Richa, take us off. I think the best piece of advice that, I don't know if it was given to me, but I did learn it from my mentor. Um, when she told me one day that I'm going to be president of this company. And I'm like, whoa, she was just out there, okay? She's like maybe three years older than me. So maybe a couple steps ahead of me in, in her career. And she was just out there that I will be president of the company one day. And what I learned was that it's okay to be ambitious and put it out there. And you mm -hmm. got to put it out there. And sometimes when we are only person in the room of a kind that we feel afraid to voice our ambition, 
you know, for fear of this sounding too big and too loud. But if we don't advocate for ourselves, then who else would? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I learned that be ambitious, put it out there, you know, and I love her advice. That's the best piece of advice I can give to anybody else. You know, whatever you want to do, just put it out there. Yes. Yes. People are not mind readers. Say it out loud. <laughs> yeah, people are not mind <laughs> Alex, what's your best advice? Best piece yeah. of advice? I think, actually, I learned this from my mom. Um, <laughs> she, she was running her own business. Um, she's always said, you know, run your business or do anything in life with honesty and integrity. And I've always done that. And I think these two things also help me feel like I'm courageous. And so I'm, I'm usually that squeaky wheel. <laughs> I will say something if I, you know, I, if I see like, well, the process needs improvement or somebody needs, you know, you did that presentation, it could be better this other way. I should say that to my CEO once. <laughs> he actually was accepted that he really accepting uh, what I said. And if I didn't say those things, he wouldn't know that I am about helping him get better, right? Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, again, I go back to that courage thing. It does take time to build up, but you find your tribe and you be honest. You you act like, you know, who you are. You, be, you know, have that integrity. I think that you will start drawing people who are like you, male or female. And so that that is the best advice I could give to people. Be honest, having integrity. Love it. Love it. Trish? I will... Um quote my father and this is you can be anything you want to be as long as you put your mind to it. And, you know, I can be very intimidated by people that are smarter or more accomplished or whatever, but I know that if I work at it, I can be it. And um, that is definitely the advice I give to my kids and to others. That's so funny. My dad uh, said, you can be anything you want except of American president or Pope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Margaret how about you I was thinking about my very first boss I had the honor of having a female a woman boss in the automotive industry which is very rare Mm -hmm. and at the time I got out of college uh, which some of you maybe are my age in the early 80s we dressed like men. We had really big padded shoulders and we wore bow ties and it was just horrible. Um, and she taught me that femininity, whatever that means to you, you know, your definition of femininity plus competence equals your power. And that has stayed with me. And I have passed that on to probably hundreds of women that I've mentored because I think the word femininity, you know, takes on a negative connotation sometimes. And it doesn't mean you have to be feminine in a in a stereotypical way, but what it means to you and combining that with the competence you have, that is your power. It's not about throwing your femininity away to be competent or to have power. And that has just always stuck with me that, and it kind of goes back to that authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing is we're just so often told as women growing up and when we are the only woman that we keep having to change you know, who we are. That's beautiful. Right. I'm going to speed us up a little bit. So second quick fire question. Um, we're just going to go round in order. I'm not going to introduce each of you. We're going to start with Richard. But what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? I think it's very same to what Margaret just said, that we've been told that you have to behave like somebody else to really make you mark. But why? Right. You know, there is nobody in the world like you. So be authentic, be yourself. 
in fact, like that, I connect that with what I originally said, that if you stand out and you're good, then people will take note. So, you know, I would go to meetings dressed up in red heels and people would take note because that was who I, who I love dressing up as, right? Like, and this I learned from somebody who's a senior executive at Shell, but once said that she loved wearing red boots and she would wear that to um, all of these high profile meetings that were important to her because that gave her the confidence to show up you know, in her most confident self. So don't try to be anybody else. Try to try to be as authentic as you can be. If you love wearing lipstick, like I love it on Mika right now, then, and that gives you confidence, be that person. Be that person that gives you confidence. Yeah, I actually, um, bad advice, like very similar, but I, I don't know who gave it to me. I think it might've been myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, I I work with all these men, especially with developers all the time. And I feel like if I want to be a part of the group, that I have to dress like them. So I will always wear my uniforms, what I call it, you know, hoodie, t-shirt, jeans, like tennis shoes, right? So that's what I will wear. And honestly, that didn't work out well for me. And it wasn't until <laughs> recent years. I mean, okay, in terms of career tra tra trajectory, that didn't do well for me because I, I feel like women still need to dress up to be seen a certain way. But for me, I wanted to be able to have work done smoothly. So I dressed like the engineer so then I could be, a, you know, one of them, right? Mm -hmm. And it turned out like all these years, I participated in sexism. I didn't even realize it. I, I, I would help or like participate in telling dirty jokes just so I could be a part, you know, of one of the boys, right? I didn't even realize until later in life, like, hey, wait a minute, that's not cool. Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, I just kind of decided, you know, I can't do that anymore. I got to be myself. I got to let my freak flag, you know, fly really high. <laughs> so yeah, don't take that, my advice, uh, my bad advice to myself. Like, you know what, be you. Just like what Richa said. <laughs> yeah, my advice was you can either have a career or you can have a family, yep. but you can't have both. Heard that. And um, <laughs> I proved that wrong, but um, that definitely weighed heavily on some of the decisions I made early in life. Yeah, I had something similar. You can't be a good leader and be a good mother. I was told that, but act like a man was another one. Literally, someone said that to me. And I think the last one that also was horrible was stop being so passionate. I would also yeah. add, you cannot be, you know, you can have everything, just not at the same time. I don't believe in that. Either. Right. <laughs> oh, it's heartbreaking. I made sure I was about to like blow something there. The pressure cooker alert was going on. I was like, I'm trying to keep myself calm because some of these are just so damaging. And one of the things I've definitely seen in, in my career now as a coach is now I coach hundreds of women. I do get this impression, I don't have the data to back it up yet, but I do get the impression we are more likely to get terrible advice from our male peers. And yes, there's a whole level of sexism going on there, but I do feel like there's just more of it. It's not just the flavor of it that's different. And people feel entitled to give us advice, um, left, right, and center. Uh, well, one of the best pieces of advice I've given. Sorry. I would just say, Tony, it's not for men. I think sometimes other women give women bad advice. Yeah. I've had the worst comments from other women, to be honest. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, let's, let's back on. Now you're good. Do not apologize for being passionate about this topic. None of us should apologize for this. None of us should ever apologize ever again. I say that as a recovering apologizer. Vicka, back over to you. All right. Next one, because we want to shine the light and amplify others as well. 
Who's inspiring you and why? Richa? I, I am most inspired by Jacinda Ardern. And maybe I'm mispronouncing her name again here. The Prime Minister for New Zealand. And I think I really inspire her. Uh, I really uh, look up to her because um, she's she's so much in control. Like she, she's doing the right things without being aggressive. Like and she, she comes across as a soft person, but she's not, right? She's assertive insight. And this is like one thing I, whenever some of my mentees ask me, oh, people start perceiving us as aggressive very quickly whenever we try to assert it. So you don't have to change who you are, right? And then sometimes people are just very, very shy and they have a hard time showing up as assertive. Like you don't have to change who you are. Like you have to be assertive inside. And as long as you believe in yourself, you're confident, you're assertive inside, it doesn't matter whether, you know, how you show up on the outside to some extent. And I think Jacinda does this really, really well. Like she is so much in control. She she comes across as this very polite soft person, but she's very, very assertive and confident in what she does. And I really look forward to her. Yeah, um, for me, and this is really weird, but <laughs> I think it is weird, but actually right now, my manager, my direct manager is inspiring me because just, I, I'm in meetings with her and I see how she carries herself and she speaks with authenticity. And she also, you know, knows what she's talking about and she really commands the the virtual room. <laughs> uh, and so I, I just, I look at her, you know, as somebody that I would love to become, you know, in a few years, I, and then she's a you know leader at Google as a woman. And I just feel like, wow, you know, I would love to be, come like what she's doing today because she honestly she's one of the best managers probably if not the best manager i've ever had just she 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 cares about me as a person mm -hmm. right she's always you know wanting to make sure that i have a good work and life balance and that i'm i'm challenged and you know it's rare to find a really good manager and i just look up to her um she's just very inspiring so my latest like passion is having a technology company, a culture that values employees, truly values the employee and diversity, inclusion, et cetera. And so I recently changed jobs and that was my mission was to either find a company that did that or start a company that does that. Mm -hmm. And I was, um, I have to tell you, interviewing with Antonio Neri, who is the um, president CEO of HPE, the whole conversation was about the employees. And I know Sasha at Microsoft, so I just love this movement of focusing on culture and employee-focused technology companies, because we've got to change in this business. I love that. I call that compassionate capitalism. <laughs> Because okay. I think you can't, you still make money, right? You still have to make oh, yeah. money. But yeah. Um, I, I was really trying to think about this question a lot. And honestly, the, the answer that came into my mind, and that's the one I'll give, is what's inspiring me right now is the team at this restaurant. So I live now on a very small town on the coast of Washington State. And this is an economically depressed area. It used to be logging and fishing. And we all know how well mm -hmm. logging and fishing um, has done in almost anywhere in the world. And these people, whether, and, and we've, we've been very fortunate. I went out to hire a diverse workforce and I have without, like, I didn't, you know, say it necessarily. We just kind of were open to it. And from my manager all the way 
to my drivers, we've hired a bunch of veterans. You know, generationally, we have, I think our oldest is 77 and our youngest is 15. Um, ethnically, just this incredible combination of people, but most of them have not had easy lives. You know, I've got a young woman from Alaska who, you know, separated from her parents. She's only 17 and moved down here to get away from a very traumatic life. You know, I've got a lot of people in recovery that are helping each other. We have people who are, you know, still battling addiction. We have people that are in poverty that, you know, when I give them a hundred bucks to go buy shoes, they cry because no one's ever done that for them. I mean, every day, the stories I hear are just both heartbreaking and inspiring because they, they, they want to do something. They want to make an impact and they work so hard. And most of the people in this industry get treated like crap. And the one thing I'm trying to do is take a business model that we've all seen in the tech industry and apply it to restaurants, which no one has ever done. And everyone's telling me it's going to fail, that you can't pay people good salaries, that you can't put them on full time, that you can't give them health insurance and 401ks. You'll, you'll go broke. And I am just determined to show them it's wrong because just every day, these people inspire me so much. I'm going to cry. Thank you for that. I just have to really say thank you for that because I grew up in a restaurant in Europe. My grandmother had a couple of restaurants and there were people on full-time staff. There were people who had, uh, most people that had their health insurance and it was different, but it was also like a big family. So it's a very specific environment and uh, that really resonates. Thanks for sharing that. That's beautiful, ladies. Um, okay, we've got one more quick fire question, then we've got a couple of other questions to wrap up. Um, but my the final question for the quick fire round is actually my question. Vicar and I both got to pick a question. This one was mine because this underpins how I've operated successfully in my career, which is about mindset. So what is the number one mindset shift you each think we all need to be taking? What is the one thing that you would say in terms of mindset has made the biggest difference in your career path? Yeah, the biggest mindset shift that I have had to make is to remember that I belong. That if I'm in a room, I belong. I'm there for a reason. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been in that room. So if I'm in that room for a reason, then people need to hear from me because I have something to say, right? That's a value. Like when you make that shift in your mind, then you are able to overcome imposter syndrome. Then you are able to kind of overcome this fear of what people think. Right. You belong, otherwise you would not be in that room. So just accept that and be powerful. Beautiful, thank you. Alex? Okay, I'm gonna do this. You are enough. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, actually on my iPad, like carved in there as well as my Apple Pencil so I can remind myself every single day that you are enough, right? Be you. You are enough. This is why they hired you because you are awesome. Yeah, you are enough. One hundred percent. I love this question so much. Trey. Totally aligned with that. Um, and yes, do that all the time. Imposter syndrome um, issues. But I think I'm going to say um, the the open or positive mindset, the art of possibility, because people can get so narrow. And I think we never think about all the options out there. And so even, even when I was going through my job shift, you know, my change, I, I thought I was going to go one way. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, I, when I opened up that aperture, I got a much better opportunity. Yeah. I love that, Alex. It's so funny that you said that. Cause I, 
every time I mentor a woman, that's usually the first thing. It's like, okay, you are going to write this down on a sticky note and post it all over your house. And it says, you are, I am good enough. I am good enough. And they always go, well, that's just silly. I'm not going to put that on my house. People will see it. Yep. And you're going to say it a hundred times a day until you believe it. So, so sad. Um, I wrote down the word adaptive and I was trying to understand in my own mind, like, why did I write that down in response to that question? I think it is just always looking for opportunities in a new way, taking risk. I think one of the ways, you know, we've all seen the data that women don't take risks as much, or they think they have to be hundred percent qualified or whatever the, the data shows us. But I do find that women don't think they have the opportunities, even though they're right there, because it involves risk. It involves jumping off something or jumping to something, or maybe they have never done it before. So to me, it's that constant willingness and open-mindedness to say, yeah, I'm going to jump and you know, I'm always going to land on my feet. And that was something I always told my kids. It's like, never worry if we're going to have money, never worry if I'm going to lose my job, I will always land on my feet. And I said that to them and I'd say it to myself and it came true. Right. And it, it meant sometimes making some pretty, you know, strange pivots. But then like Trish said, it ended up, you look back and it looks like some brilliant plan of, you know, doing all these things. Oh, you go to a startup and you go to a big company, you know, but at the time it was like, crap, I'm going to be out of a job. I got to go figure out what I'm doing, you know, so. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, I will tell you my mindset, my favorite mindset shift, because that leads right into one of the questions we have from one of our viewers. My favorite thing to say uh, is, I don't and you don't. You don't have to believe your thoughts. It's just sentences in your head. Mm -hmm. We all can think stuff like the earth is flat. We can think that sentence and it does not make us a flat earth. So we have a lot of thoughts. We don't have to believe them. I mean, all these, oh, I could do this thoughts. We can decide against them. And the question I'm referring to in the chat is one of our viewers is asking any tools one can apply to breaking the fears when you're the only woman in the room, especially on an executive level. So you've got the right group of people here. And I would just start us off by saying, uh, don't worry about overcoming the fear. Mm -hmm. uh, learn to act anyway, because I'm sure if I ask any of you be fearless now at your at your level, probably everybody's like, nope, not yet. <laughs> So uh, living with the fear and acting anyway, I think, is what I would say. And now let's hear what uh, what everybody else has to say. Richa, would you? Yeah, so I, I was listening to this podcast episode a couple couple of days ago, which touched upon a similar question. And they, they talked about how the senior executive leader, uh, woman leader, when she first joined the board, she was the only woman on the board. And so to start off with, she made, she got like buy-ins offline with another ally. She found another ally essentially on the board. And then a couple of times that ally supported her and that just kind of start, start establishing her place on the board as well. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid. So I completely agree with Mika that the fear would always remain. So you just gotta do it regardless. But at the same time, it always is good to get support from allies as well to get you started. And then, you know, you find your place, you find your voice. You build more allies from there, you go from there. Thank you. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, I actually do the physical thing and become a starfish. 
I make myself as big as possible. I go to the bathroom and do this. And I just do that for like, I don't know, a minute. <laughs> it's actually proven that if you make yourself as big as possible, when you go into when you're doing the next thing, you you feel empowered, right? And you know what? That fear is never going to go away. So embrace that fear. It's the same amount of energy as making a starfish. <laughs> so be a starfish before the meeting, and then go into the room and command the room. <laughs> so mine is remember to breathe. I mean, that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. is when you are scared, you start hyperventilating and then your mind starts racing. And so I just sit there and go breathe and count my breaths if I start feeling that. And then I can ground myself and be back in the space. I love what Alex said, because I wasn't thinking of this advice, but I've given this to many women. Have you all ever noticed how a lot of men spread themselves in a room? Oh, yeah. Like they take up. So I <laughs> I was telling this one woman who had a group of men that she was working with that were all man spreaders. And I said, well, go in there, put your stuff across two seats, sit sideways and back and just kind of, you know, put your legs up and take it out. And so she did it the next day. And the men came in the room. And they were like, like all kind of like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? And you know, they kind of stood back and they, they kind of looked at her differently. And it was just hysterical. We laughed. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but it was kind of a funny sociological test. But what I will say is um, there was this wonderful book that I found when one of my sons was not wanting to potty train and it was called everybody poops. And my advice is when you're going into a room, just remember everybody poops and everybody's poop stinks. And there is something about that. If I tell myself that before I go into these, these situations, it makes me giggle. It totally takes me, you know, kind of out of guard. And I'd look around the room and go, yep, everybody poops, you know, and it just kind of, at the end of the day, we're all animals, so. I love that. I'm just gonna add in one quick thing there because all of those comments, they all came back to like what I always say to people, which is you're never gonna have the confidence until you take action. Confidence comes from taking action, not like some magical thing we do beforehand. Well, and all of your comments just reminded me of a phrase that my coach introduced me to many years ago, which is scare slighted. When you're excited and a little bit scared at the same time, and I think if we can recognize sometimes it's not being scared and fearful, but sometimes it's scare sighted. There's some excitement in there and that's just a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes that can just make it easier to take that first step to build your confidence because as soon as you take the first step, you get data, you get information and that feels easier, at least for mm -hmm. many of the people I work with and myself included, I would say. But Mika, I'm going to hand back over to you there. All right. So I think I'm, I'm wrapping it up here. Uh, leaving our audience with the idea of being a starfish that belongs, breathes, and poops. Uh, um, thank you, wonderful, wonderful panel. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Richa, Alex, Trish, and Margaret. And again, I'm, I'm inviting uh, whoever sees this video still either live or in a replay, please reach out with your questions. We will get back to you. We just don't want to go too much over here right now. Uh, thank you for watching and thank you. Yeah, thank you for being a woman who will make a difference. Or an ally who is helping women make a difference. But thank you all, every, everybody.
If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.